0: That elite sellers have always understood the reality that now more and more teams are putting emphasis on, which is the fact that if you don't have a champion in the deal, you will not get a deal done. But in the past, selling with champions because of where buying decisions are actually being made, which isn't in a sales meeting like you and the buying team as the sales rep. It's during the buying team's internal conversation when you're not in the room and the champion is delivering the message. That's how you keep a deal on track elite sellers have always understood that. And that's why they were always closing far above the average, you know, 20, 25 close rate. They're winning 50, 60, 70% of deals.
1: Nate, welcome to the show. How are you, sir?
0: I'm doing pretty good. Thanks, Griffin. Frankie, appreciate you guys having me. Yeah. Happy Friday.
1: Absolutely. How's Colorado?
0: It's good, man. It's about uh, 65 degrees and sunny. It's going to be getting up into the 70s, 80s here. So it's a uh, slush season on the slopes where all the snow turns to slush. But we still uh, still love getting in the last last laps of the season. So it's pretty good out in Colorado right now.
1: Yeah,
2: exactly. Frankie, Frankie's been swimming in Colorado before. That's never uh, short before I shorts and T-shirt kind of day on the on the <laughs> slopes. So those are some of the best days.
0: Exactly. This is when you get your goggle tan on.
2: Yeah, exactly. I love it. Well. Thank you again for joining us today.
1: We are talking about selling with champions and the Frankie and I couldn't think of a more important relevant topic, especially in today's selling environment, um, would love for you to break down why you wanted to focus on selling with champions and why, or how you, you see elite sellers enabling selling with their champions.
0: Yeah. So what I would say is that elite sellers have always understood the reality that now more and more teams are putting emphasis on, which is the fact that if you don't have each in the deal, you will not get a deal done. But in the past selling with champions because of where buying decisions are actually being made, which isn't in a sales meeting like you and the buying team as a sales rep. It's during the buying team's internal conversation when you're not in the room and the champion is delivering the message. That's how you keep a deal on track. Elite sellers have always understood that, and that's why they were always closing far above the average you know, 20, 25 close rate. They're winning 50, 60, 70% of deals. But now the difference is for the typical or average rep, instead of closing 20, 25 on average, they're just struggling to get 5, 6% win rates. And this is what they're, they're trying to get back to the level set of when times were good, cash was flowing deals were closing, they were kind of Mm -hmm. sitting at that rate. And now they're trying to pull some of the practices that again, in elite seller, they've always kind of understood and operated by this idea of no champion, no deal, because that's where you control the conversation during a decision.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Frankie and I are both victims of not selling with a champion or thinking we can get a deal done with a, with a coach and not Mm -hmm. enabling them to have those difficult conversations with their teams internally. I had a question for you coming into this, which was, if there was one thing that you could provide your champion with to sell on your behalf in those meetings, those internal meetings that you're not a part of, what's, what's one thing that you would give to your champion?
0: The one thing in executive summary, no longer than a page. Okay. And when I think about executive summary, it's basically packaging the entire case for change from why do we have to do anything? Why is there a large, costly problem that's standing in the way of a leadership priority that everybody already agreed, or in other words, we're already sold that this is the thing to solve? And then how are we going to do that in a way that we can confidently say we're going to unlock on the other side the payoff that we're interested in with this particular partner? They are the right fit there's going to be a lower risk working with them versus going on our own or in another direction. So basically that message all packaged up in one page is exactly what I would both give to the champion, but also want to create with them so that it looks and feels like them. So they actually want to use that to guide the conversation, um, far and away above any other alternative, which would be a recap email, a product deck, a set of case studies, Uh, Yeah, microsite an ROI calculator, right? Yeah, I can go down the list. And I will always come back to a very sharp and compelling one page summary.
2: Yeah, and I think that's something that we as sellers need to be working towards any anyways, like that should be kind of the pinnacle of the sale of any discovery meeting you've got any conversation Mm -hmm. you're having should be how do you fill out that executive summary. Cause then you can go ultimately speak to it in any conversation, but then like you just mentioned, equip your champion to go have that conversation while you're not in the room. Um, Nate, what makes an ideal champion? Do you have characteristics or things you look for when you're searching for champions in these big deals?
0: I do. So there are a couple different things that I think about. Um, first is influence. So they have to be able to shape or change the conversation internally in Griffin. You use the phrase coach. Um, I think earlier, and basically the idea there is a coach is somebody who may have information, right? Hard to find type deal intelligence. They could also have some type of incentive of like, I want this deal to close. I'm a big fan. And they're giving you some insider tips to work toward that. But if they can't actually change or shape the conversation, then that's the difference between what a champion is and what a coach is inside of the deal. So you have to have influence defined as changing or shaping the internal conversations when you, as a seller, aren't in the room with them.
1: Yeah. So we have internally at our company, three characteristics and you just hit all of them, which is influence or authority and or authority. Mm -hmm. They need to be selling on your behalf. And I think that's the key difference. Like you mentioned between a coach and a champion, are they actively selling on your behalf? Are they taking you to the economic buyer? Are they willing to introduce you to the rest of the business? And that's a good way to pressure test a champion versus a coach. Uh, and the third, which is, do they have a personal win, right? What is, what do they care about that, you know, is going to move the needle? Your product is going to help or service is going to help them move the needle, um, you know, in their, in their, in their role. Yeah. Um, and if one, I can, okay, Yeah, I, absolutely. Go ahead. I was just
0: going to jump in because what you snuck in there on number two is a very subtle difference is you could have all of the characteristics of a champion and not actually be a champion because it's all based on behavior, not just the potential of, Hey, they're an SVP, they, they can definitely throw their weight around and change the internal conversation. There's a personal win in it for them. All those things may be true, but if there's no behavior or evidence of selling, then they're not a champion. So I just had to jump in there because oftentimes there's a difference between people saying, Oh, I have a champion and it's not actually a champion based on what's going down.
1: Right now it's very important to spot that difference. And I, I just had one question for you, Nate, which is, um, today in 2023 it's very difficult to find a champion within a prospect account there's fomo fear of messing up there's there are people that maybe used to fit the profile of a potential champion that don't want to sell on your behalf anymore don't want to make that change how do you see elite sellers identifying champions within prospects accounts
0: so they they see champions as part of a broader social network And they realize to your point on FOMO or fear of messing up, they realize that there is safety that's created in numbers. And so they're looking at champion building as an activity of not just a single contact, but multiple champions so that they can walk into an internal conversation with a group around them. And when they feel there's a little bit of social consensus, like it's not just me and my neck is going to be on the line if this project goes sideways. There's a couple of us, and it's not only the fact that we are spreading risk (laughs) across reputational risk, project risk, across a greater number of contacts. They can also look to each other to say, hey, if we agree and we're all feeling confident, I'm not crazy. This must be the right thing to do. Let's keep going. And so moving from just a champion in a deal to thinking about a network of champions to create a degree of social consensus or safety – that's the difference between just you know, your average versus your elite seller.
2: I love that. Multi-threading with true champions, that's, that's the name of the game nowadays. It always has been, but now more than ever, you need it.
0: Yeah, and what I'll, I'll throw kind of one other piece on there is multi-threading, what elite sellers realize, isn't just a good thing in all circumstances. Multi-threading is always something that sellers are taught to do, and we tend to think more is better but once you find that tight link of a number of champions and you've built enough of some social safety or safety net around them then you can stop because as the buying team sprawls and you go too wide that's where you introduce more and more dysfunction as a group so once you find the core bench of champions just enough contacts that you can get over the you know call it the tendency to do nothing in a deal that's when you want to continue to tighten the buying group, not continue to multi-thread. And so that's another nuance that elite sellers understand and practice versus just the typical rep.
2: Tell us more. You just mentioned something I haven't heard the social safety net. Tell us Mm. a little bit more about that.
0: So let's say we are, um, we are going to entirely switch over the structure of our database from a traditional relational database to a graph database. And if I am the kind of lone wolf, data IT architect, who says, hey, we got to embrace what's new, what's next, we're going to make this big change. And it goes south, who gets fired, or who is kept on the payroll, but is looked at as like the ugly stepchild sitting in the corner that nobody wants to interact with. It's me, because I pushed for that. Now, if I, if I get on board a series of different contacts, both within the IT team, but also in marketing talking about how this is affecting campaign segmentation in operations, thinking about current customer data, so on and so forth. And I start to build up a safety net. And so we're doing this together. All of us are agreeing that this is the direction that we need to move. And by the way, that safety net can also be peers and other companies outside. Now there's another degree of separation, so it doesn't strengthen the net quite as much. Then I'm going to have more confidence as well as if the project does go sideways, I'm not the only one. There are other people around me who can help salvage, get the project back on track. Um, and so I, I have a greater level of confidence in pushing forward, especially um, if I'm in a culture that is very risk-averse and just very change-averse.
2: Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, it's, it makes me think of people buy based off recommendations where if you're going – looking for restaurants like that's why yelp or open table the ones that have all these great recommendations people are willing to go take a risk on it because I mean, it's a low barrier compared to buying software but it's kind of the same concept at a much higher scale i guess you could say
0: mm-hmm. that's right and there's two ways to think about it is you know let's say you're driving down um you guys are out in california mm-hmm. let's say you're driving down and you're looking for a good seafood restaurant and you see on the highway it's like Frank and Griffin's seafood. And you might say, okay, could be a good restaurant. Now, if you're driving down and you see something like Guy Fieri loves Frank and Griffin's seafood, you're going to say, oh, that's pretty okay. He knows, he knows what's up. Must be good seafood. Now, a third step, if you're driving down and you see a picture of your grandmother on the billboard, who was a phenomenal cook, and it's like your grandmother loves Frankie and Griffin's seafood – what are you going to say? Oh my gosh. Yes. Because you trust that person even more than Guy Fieri, right? She's your grandmother and you've tasted her food before. <laughs> and so as you begin to bring more and more of an inner circle in, not just, you know, the billboard would co- would be like your product deck, right? Then you have the, the peer recommendation and then you have inside of your own company, somebody that you know, and have worked with and trusted, that's how you begin to strengthen that safety net. So a bit of an analogy there.
2: So
1: I'm in a current deal cycle right now, Nate. This is this mm-hmm. is very helpful. And I can't help but think of uh, of this deal that I'm working right now where I've got a few, I would call champions. I'd say two champions in the deal. And just like you mentioned, I have support from other folks in the business. And when I'm putting my executive summary together, I'm actually trying to find somebody right now. I can take a quote and uh, from them and put on that executive summary. Now, it, obviously in conversation that we're having right now, You know, they might tell me, oh, you know, your product is the best thing since sliced bread. It's great. Perfect. Would you mind if I put that this, what you just said down in a quote and share it with the CRO, because he would love to see some type of feedback like that. You get a little hesitant, Mm -hmm. right? They they might think, oh, I don't, I don't want you, you know, recording any of this. This is all, you know, off the record. How do you push back on that? Or how do you get those types of that support from the business?
0: So what I like to do is I like to come with something that is drafted and right. I'll make it feel collaborative. So it may be a simple Google Doc. You could have your deck open, do nothing in presentation mode, always in edit mode. And then what I would have it open, I would have it open and I would I would have something from a previous meeting that they had already said that stuck with me. And I would drop that in there to say, hey, you know, I've been working on the summary. You mentioned that your meeting with your CRO is coming up on Friday. Um, So to help guide the conversation, just as a recap of what we've walked through, not expecting that you would remember everything, you know, I began to prep and draft out um, a little exact summary for you. Um, Here's what I, I thought would be one of the most relevant pieces of feedback that you gave. What do you think? Is there something more important than this? Or is there a way that you would change the framing based on what you know you're also going to be talking about inside of that agenda? And then what I'm doing is I'm changing and editing what already exists to make sure that they feel more comfortable with it, sharing the doc and saying, Hey, feel free to jump in and make some edits or tweaks, as opposed to what many people do is they'll lead with a, uh, seller branded deck that looks highly polished, they'll be presenting it and they'll say, you know, they'll just maybe leave it blank. And the difference, what you're beginning to do is you are creating one consistency between, hey, you already said this. Two, you're trying to be true to them. Hey, is there something that you want to change about this so you're more comfortable with it? And then three, again, you're shifting the posture of the conversation. Go very low brand, totally in edit mode, make it feel like a working session. So that's how I would approach that scenario.
2: Beautiful. Love it. I think that. you just and accelerated
1: your right? coaching session you, right here. You <laughs>
2: That's why you guys
0: started a podcast, right? Just It's like a bunch of coaching sessions.
2: (laughs) We basically just come to the table with the the biggest, hairiest deals, and we just ask our guests what to do.
0: (laughs) There you go. There you go.
2: Um, I'm going to log out. I'll see you guys later. Yeah, go close that deal, (laughs) Greg.
1: I got work to do.
2: Yeah, right. I actually think it's just helpful. I'll throw another real-world scenario at you. Um, I was working with one of our reps on this actually two hours ago, and this person said – Hey, I think I have a champion, but anytime I say I want to go get introduced to some other people, whether it's other influencers, like you said, to build that social uh, net or to go get to the right executives, they're always like, yeah, well, let me go meet with them and I'll let you know what they say. What do you do in that scenario? What's what's your take? How do you navigate that?
0: Mm-hmm. So um, there could be a couple of different ways um, that you could do this first. And you kind of have to read the person that you're working with in order to figure out what's going to land um, or be more, most helpful um, for their style. So in one case, you may go for a route that is like priming your ask where you, where you might say something like, hey, I can't imagine it would make sense for us both to meet your CRO together. So how would you feel about instead us going to talk with your VP of sales to make sure that they're on, they're on board or aligned with the message that you want to bring to your CRO. And so you are saying, hey, this definitely, you're going to shoot this down. So what about this alternative? And most people won't say no twice. You've already said no for them on the CRO. They don't stack up no's, in other words. Most people tend to be just a little bit more agreeable. Um, than that. And again, framed with the positioning around you know no-go on the first option. So that's number one. Number two um, might be something along the lines of, hey, I, I'd be interested in seeing if there's somebody who might be willing to disagree with our perspective on this. Is there somebody that you think may be willing to give us critical feedback or you typically find is very good at poking holes in a project plan? And you're changing the positioning of the meeting from, Hey, is there an opportunity for me to sell another contact in your team to clearly you and I are on the same page. Let's see if somebody else can totally shoot down our plans. And most people, if you think about what they are fearful of or why they say no to a meeting request, they don't want somebody else renting their credibility to push a product when they're not totally comfortable with it, which would be then number three, this is your third option is to say, if somebody's like, um, you know, let me bring it to the team. We have a uh, you know team meeting agenda coming up, and I can slot this on the agenda. Then what you would um, say is, hey, I wouldn't want you bringing this to the team as part of the agenda unless you were confident enough that this was a good fit, the right direction to go, that you would be willing to schedule a separate dedicated meeting. If it's not worth a dedicated meeting – Um, or you're just not sure of that. Maybe we could continue to talk one-on-one to work through any outstanding questions. And if there are those lingering questions, continuing to push to get to another contact, either one, you're just going to hit a standstill, um, or two, you're going to frustrate the relationship that you do have, and it's not going to get you anywhere. So those are three very different, um, options that you could try. And again, it just comes down to how you're reading and how you're interacting with that one contact.
2: That's brilliant. So good. Thank you, Nate.
1: I love the practice of testing champions. It sounds great in, in a podcast scenario. It's so easy to fall into the trap and trust the person that you're working with that. Yes, this is my champion. They are going to take me to the promised land. My boss drills in. I'm like, no, don't worry about it. They're my champ. I know, Mm -hmm. you know, I know don't worry about it. they may not fit the profile, but Alas, here we are. I've lost deals because I thought I had champions when they were really coaches or you know even detractors sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Dave, my question for you is testing testing champions is very important. What are some of the questions that you see elite sellers asking to determine do I really have a champion in this deal? Are they actually going to to um, uh, help me get this deal across the finish line? Just maybe give give our listeners some questions that, that you recommend.
0: You know, it's it's more questions that set up some type of action or behavior that is very black and white in its outcome and quote unquote, I hate the phrase, but quote unquote, adds value to the champion. So it's less about the phrasing of a specific question and it's more about what the test is that you are choosing in and of itself. So as an example of this, if you were to say something like, hey, here is a customer who recently went live went through the uh, very similar implementation that we've been talking about and planning for your team. um, Would you be open to giving them a call so that you have some points from another perspective to bring to the team um, when we go and we meet with operations? And if they're like, yeah, you know, that would be great. um, Awesome. Do they actually make the call? When do they make the call? How important and how soon um, does that happen? Because that will indicate like, is this a big priority for them to get done or not? You know, again, very black and white. And number two, it is also adding value to them. They're talking with a peer to get more info. Now, if you were to say something like, hey, could you set up a meeting um, with your CRO so that I could pitch them about our product? That's not exactly value added. It's doing more help for you as a seller than it is for the buyer in many cases. And so the question is, is this giving more than taking? And is it a very black and white outcome? If so, then whatever the question is that you want to ask to set it up. Great. Just make sure that the test you're selecting is relevant and appropriate.
2: Yeah, that's great. I I like the fact that you're like Griff said, we always talk about testing, but how can you win that test to add value along the way? And if you just take a few minutes to think about it, there's a lot of amazing ways that you just gave us that you can actually test. So that's awesome. Nate, I'd love to hear about your company fluent because It's a product that was created to solve a lot of these problems. I would just like to hear your quick story on, on why you created it and the evolution of it. We don't get founders on, on this podcast all the time. (laughs) So I'd love to just hear your story real quick out of curiosity.
0: Yeah. So my, my last two roles before founding Fluent, I was building and leading strategic teams and it was always the same issue. The issue that we've been talking about is our reps would lose deals even when they weren't in the room, always when they weren't in the room and We would go deep into their messaging, guiding conversations, how they would structure and run sales conversations, group demos, all of it. And at the end of it, the difference between the highest performing and the just kind of the average rep on the team wasn't how they were interacting in a sales meeting. It was what they were doing to set up the champion afterward. And what I noticed is they would be sitting there listening to long call recordings. They'd be downloading decks out of our enablement system, spending hours building custom business cases, putting it back into a shared space, working with the champion. So it matched their language. And what they would say is like, it was highly effective because the champion would actually use that narrative to guide those internal conversations and keep the deal on track. However, (laughs) they could only do that for a fraction of their accounts because it was, it was super manual. And so the basic insight was to say, if we can take a customer's language from calls and use that to drive the content for a business case built with champions, we'll win more deals. So I went out to try to buy something, couldn't buy something. I'm also a former founder, went through the full kind of startup life cycle. And that's how I started building my first enterprise team is the company that bought that company was just focused on SMB mid market. So I, I built the first enterprise team. So that old product brain kicked in and I was like, well, if I, if I can't buy it, let's go build it. And that's how Fluent came about, which in a nutshell, converts what a buyer says during your sales conversations about their problems into the content for your business case about your product.
2: Very cool. A much needed solution to what we've been talking about today.
0: I agree. I mean, granted, my bias, but yes, <laughs> I agree.
1: So, Nate, uh, one of the things that is very relevant in today's selling environment, and this is consistent across every sales organization that we talk to, is elongated, elongated sales cycles, delayed sales cycles. Especially when it comes to going after net new logos, existing customers, um, you know, maybe they're backed into a renewal. There's a little bit more, there's a bit more of a deadline. So it's easier to back into that sort of why now conversation that maybe goes into that executive summary you mentioned early on. How do you see, or like, talk about the importance of having the champion stress the importance of why now? How do you and a champion together? get that locked in, because I think that that's something that sellers are really struggling with today that maybe they could get away with kind of a, you know, a, a mm-hmm. soft why now in 2021 or, or even last year.
0: Yeah. So first the answer to why now is never something that you can manufacture as a seller. You have to discover alongside of your champion and then help them communicate. And there are a couple of different components to what I'll call more genuine urgency inside of a deal in order to keep it moving in a shorter sales cycle. So one, it has to be something that you are solving that blocks a priority an executive leader is already sold on. So you could have a very costly problem and they'll just call that a distraction, not a true problem if it's not blocking a strategic priority. So that's number one. Number two, you have to be able to articulate why waiting to solve it actually makes it far harder and more costly to solve over the long term. And then number three, you have to show why there is a quick and immediate win following the solve. So all of us are subject to a cognitive bias. It's called hyperbolic discounting, where we begin to basically say value delivered in the future is worth far less than something that is, is delivered to me right now in this moment. So you need to bring all of those things together inside of a very clear message that you can give, to somebody who is at a level where with a stroke of a pen and signing off, you can get a deal done. And I'll give you an example from this morning. I had one of the sellers that um, we work with following the, what we call the one page business case, a way to package all of this up into a single page in the narrative. A a deal that he entered into was done in three weeks when it was typically a seven month sales cycle. It was a $1.5 million deal where they went from in two conversations and then a bunch of asynchronous back and forth, they got the deal done and they in record timing and they did it all because they were able to bring those three things together in a very clear and succinct message. And so the executive inside that deal literally needed nothing more than a page and a conversation. And after one conversation with the buying team, they were like, we need to go talk with the executive and the deal came together. So. I will also say that that isn't something that you can just go out, put this in practice, and all of a sudden you have a three-week instead of a seven-plus-month sales cycle. Mm -hmm. So that's why I also started with this idea of it's something that you discover in an account. It's not something that you can manufacture, but then when you find it, you can roll with it, and you can work with it and position your champion to do something about it.
1: Well, I need a copy of that business case. All right, you know that's that's the next step after after we stop recording. That's incredible. That's awesome. That's a great win story.
0: Well, I will. um, I'll drop you a link to the framework um, here, so that way you can share it out with the listeners. You guys can use it on your own deals, um, and then give me a shout with questions once you dig into it. But I just chatted you the link there.
2: Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you, Nate. I was gonna say as our next question give us some resources but you just gave us gave us one resource <laughs> there what are some other resources people can use to work on on this subject
0: yeah so i'll uh, drop you a link to another one we put out what we call the buyer enablement mini course it's a series of 10 emails delivered to you over 20 days each email is about a thousand words and it goes deep on designing a buyer journey selling with champions writing a compelling business case So think of it as kind of like 10 micro lessons that elite sellers are using to not only close larger deals, but close them faster, even in a tough economy. So it's called the Buyer Enablement mini-series, and I'll drop you a link to it as well.
1: Awesome. We appreciate that. And so, Nate, you know, I think we're we're just about at time. Uh, We always wrap these podcasts the same way we like to ask our guests um, a consistent question, which is, Well, we know elite sellers sell with champions, but can you help us define in your eyes, what is an elite seller?
0: An elite seller is somebody who is so insanely detail obsessed that even the things that their champion doesn't see behind the scenes, things like notes in Salesforce, match exactly what they heard from the customer, are written in a way that anybody could open it up and see that it's truly like a work of art. It's that compelling because they just love the craft that they go that deep to a way that most people would say that's unreasonable. I wouldn't put that amount of effort into it. And so if you are investing what to many seems like a obsessive or unreasonable degree of thoughtfulness into what you're doing and how you run your process, then regardless of the outcome or what numbers you're telling people you post in my mind, you're an elite seller. And it will just be a matter of time before your numbers speak for themselves.
2: Mic drop. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Nate, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I mean, pages and pages of notes. I think you helped helped Griff accelerate his deal, maybe three exit. Me too. So thank you so much for joining us.
0: Well, thank you guys for having me. It was a blast. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Nate. Appreciate it.